Welcome to the Untangled Faith Podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Lauren and Luke Smallcomb from Flourish Therapy. We talk about reckoning with pain in a faith community and learning new ways to move forward towards health after years of habits that served us well in the past, but no longer serve us. You are going to love this episode. I'm Amy Fritz, and you're listening to the Untangled Faith Podcast, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all that is not good or true, this is the place for you. Luke, Lauren, and I had all sorts of technical troubles with getting this episode recorded. And right before we were finally able to get going for real, something else happened to break the tension. And that is what was happening right before this point in the conversation. This is such a heavy area that you guys work in trauma, you're, you're trauma counselors, and you work with some of the worst situations. And so we have been laughing our heads off trying to get technology to work. So I think that's, it's only right. <laughs> a little levity has been brought to the room. So I would love to hear a little bit of your story. Why are you where you are and doing what you're doing right now? So take it away. It really was good to laugh. I feel my nervous system feels light and just open to connection. Way to go, Luke. Way to go with the technology. <laughs> you did that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Too perfect. Yeah. We're uh, Luke and Lauren of Flourish Therapy, and we have a global online and in-person trauma healing and brain retraining practice. We live in Thailand, northern Thailand. It's absolutely beautiful here, and we love it. We've been here for six years, and we actually started our work here in the missions world. So we came here to counsel and support missionaries and overseas workers in Asia. But we have transitioned to running our own practice and seeing everyone inside, outside, regardless of faith or any other variable like that, any other demographic. We are working with people that recognize trauma has impacted their bodies and their minds and want more freedom and more healing. We absolutely love it. And we are also on our own journeys, of course, like all of us, healing and finding more reconnection with ourselves and who we are and what wholeness looks like for us. Does that cover that, Luke? Did you miss anything? No, that's good. I hear you say that you were missionaries or did work with missionaries. And so when I hear that past tense, I feel like there must be a story of what happened there. And so whatever you feel comfortable sharing, I know sometimes it's not appropriate to share all the things depending on how close you are to a situation, but like what 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 has changed? Yeah, a lot. There is a lot there. I was working for a, a counseling center that served missionaries all over Southeast Asia. Loved the work doing it for five years and planned on doing it our entire lives. And yeah, a lot has changed. Lauren might have to help me because I tend to tell more details than is necessary. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to throw in the timeline. The dates are like um, 2016 and 2020 uh, elections, ironically, which if you listen to a lot of people's stories over the last several years, those have a very big part in a lot of our journeys. 
what transpired from there. And those were no different in that way that just a lot started shifting in our hearts as we began to listen to different voices and put more value on voices that we never valued. And it honestly just transformed us personally and our spiritual beliefs began to shift and what we wanted to do also began to shift, right? Because especially when you're doing work that is very personal and heart level and people oriented, it's always going to overflow into that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, many people can relate to that. I had Caitlin Chess on the podcast not long ago talking about her new book, The Ballot in the Bible. I don't know if you've had a chance to read that. I don't, I'm not jealous of all that she's had to go through to get that knowledge, but that the fact that she has been able to process in such a way that we can benefit from has meant a lot. Like, yeah, the, the evangelical world, the white evangelical world, particularly, we have used and abused scripture for our own purpose. And I think recognizing that has really put us all in a place of rethinking, wait, what was true? What did they believe and why? I just watched the video from Sky Jatani about Christian nationalism and pudding. If you have not seen this, it's on YouTube <laughs> and talking about just the problem and like realizing that for some people, the Christian religion part was a means to an end. And like whether they knew it or not is a whole conversation. But when it became more about power and influence than about following Jesus, I think a lot of us started saying, wait, what just happened? We have been asking that question. How did we get here? Yeah. What just happened? Exactly. I want to ask a little bit about your credentials as we talk. Like you are, you're in this counseling space. What kind of like background do you have? What kind of training? What kind of licensure do you have as we, as I ask you some more questions? Yeah. So I have a master's in clinical counseling. Uh, I've been practicing for over 10 years and I've been trained for anything from like Gottman level two training to EMDR. I got EMDR trained last year and love using that. And then a lot of it has been just also my own journey of learning about nervous system regulation, the, the vagus nerve, internal family systems, and just understanding how our minds and our bodies and our brains are like interconnected and then understanding my own story and trauma and how it's a and just seeing how it's affected my body and my brain and then going through that journey of healing and also doing story work learning about story work and the importance of of telling your story and then having co-regulation of somebody else's nervous system on your nervous system and, and just seeing that transform and heal me and then just using that and applying that to my work um, and seeing it also create safety and regulation and healing and transformation through other people's their work it's been an amazing journey there's like part of me like i wish i knew a lot of this attachment and regulation biggest nerve stuff back in grad school but like, i learned none of that well, a lot of times I've seen this is like uh, people go into something to make meaning. I think Wade Mullen wrote a Substack article recently talking, I think, about Judith Herman's trauma and repair book. I don't know if you've read that. I'm um, talking about how people often have a survivor mission afterwards of like, I've gone through something and I've learned something. 
and I want to make something of this, like making meaning. And I see that mm-hmm. in, I see that in the therapy world. I see that in the counseling world of people like, I, I would love to make the world a better place because of something hard yeah. I have gone through. There's just something in us. I don't know if that resonates with you, Lauren. Totally. And I think that is where, that's one of the areas that can be like our greatest strength. And also it can be a real vulnerability because when we, when we're coming to these healing spaces, rather it be like advocacy, or I want to reform the church from within, or I want to um, do more healing work one-on-one with people. If we aren't tuned in to what's happening inside of us and our own story and why we're compelled the way we're compelled, mm-hmm. it just can get really messy. And so it's not like good or bad. It's just it just is. It is. It very much is. And without having awareness of it, of why we do what we do, like the subconscious runs 95% of our lives. And we think it's the other way around that, oh no, what I'm aware of and what's going on up here is like everything. No, it's so much deeper. And for me, I've had to really just evolve in the burdens that I've carried for the world and for advocacy. I'm an Enneagram 8 and just very justice-oriented, very let's right these wrongs. And that energy has propelled me for a long time. And it's honestly been behind a lot of decisions I've made that have made life really challenging, (laughs) that have really complicated things. That in hindsight, if I was coming at it from a more healed place, a lot of that could have been prevented. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to want to heal the world. And also a lot of that comes from wanting to heal ourselves. And when we can actually bring that inward and find a new way to be in our bodies and to be comfortable in our own story, what it looks like, what we've found in ourselves and in clients is it looks less compulsive and less urgent and less angry and less panicky not saying anger isn't a completely appropriate thing. It is. We value that massively. I actually just had a group this week talking about accessing anger and the whole small group I was leading of folks doing this certain type of therapy work, they had to yell and they had to access their anger. And it was really (laughs) uncomfortable. And some of them were like, what are we doing? But they all stepped into it and it was really powerful because anger has been something that's really outlawed by Christianity, or or, or not Christianity, by the evangelical church, I'd say. I can't speak broader than that. And it's only, some people point out, like, it's only allowed if it's righteous anger. And that kind of gets into this conversation of, oh, I can be angry on behalf of someone else, but angry for how I've been violated, for how I've been manipulated and abused and taken advantage of, even in a spiritual way, so that I can be a light and people can use me in that way. No, 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 no. We can't be angry about that. Yeah. Yeah, that resonates. That resonates. I want to lean into the conversation about some of the pitfalls in advocacy for those of us that have gone through really painful experiences with faith communities. And we want to fight for justice, sometimes for our own selves and sometimes for others. I would love to hear you speak into how can we do these things in a healthy way or wherever you want to go with that conversation? I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that that is a 
many different directions that could go. But when you were asking that question, what went to my mind yeah. is I'm not an Enneagram 8. So I'm actually an Enneagram 9 for those but I'm familiar with that. I'm married to a 9. They're so great. They are great. <laughs> I'm more of a mediator, a peacekeeper. But when I lean into health, I lean into a 3, which is more boisterous, not aggressive, but courageous and bold. <clears throat> and so as I've been learning to heal, I've le leaned into that side. And so when 2016, 2020 came around, there was a part of me that wanted to use my voice and wanted to learn how to use my voice more publicly. And something that I had to, I, I learned is, I don't know if it's not necessarily avoiding the landmines, but it's noticing when you're stepping on one. <laughs> and for a long time, part of my journey was I didn't notice I was stepping on them. It was just like, walking through the minefield and it's, this is part of the journey. Yeah, I'm getting hurt. Yeah, I'm getting wounded. Yeah, people are abusing me. But this is part of the, it was that evangelical mentality of suffering for the cause got translated into mm -hmm. um, the advocation, advocating or wanting to bring change. And eventually it got to the point where was, I don't need to beat my head up against a wall. There's places where my voice can be heard and yeah. used and there's places where nobody wants to have a conversation. They just really want to believe what they believe. And it's okay for me to exit those situations. Yeah. So health for you has been learning to not avoid the hard situations, but figuring out where it is worthwhile yes. and valuable yes. for you to speak into something and where it isn't. Absolutely. And not feeling that responsibility to push forward when, like, some, uh, I heard a quote like, when people show you who they are, believe them. Maya Angelou, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. It was really a powerful message for me. It was because I was just like, no, I can, if I talk to them and sh show enough love or information or evidence, it's like, oh, they're going to change just like I changed. I like, That's not always true. What's so fascinating to me, Luke, is that if people are familiar with Enneagram nines is that if an Enneagram nine actually says, speaks up about something, yeah. it's a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> Cause generally mm -hmm. they're not going to, yeah. they're going to not even know how they feel about something until three years later. My husband said something so funny the other day and he was like, Oh yeah. A while later I was like, so offended <laughs> in the moment he couldn't even it wasn't even processed. I was just like, I'm an Enneagram too, but I'm like much more into right now how I'm feeling and yeah. let's process it right now. And he's like, and so when he was all like, oh yeah, yeah, three months later, I was like, I can't believe they said that to me. <laughs> I feel like leaning into health a lot of times in these situations is for an Enneagram nine can be like saying something yeah. when you never would have before, but then also recalibrating and saying, okay, I'm learning to say something. But now I'm also learning when to say something. What does it look like for you, Lauren? Because an eight, like that energy is way different. <laughs> oh, man. We are night and day. I can't tell you the amount of times we've looked at each other and said, this should have never worked. Yeah. yeah. This marriage, <laughs> this partnership shouldn't have worked. And 
we've been together for 17 years. We are high school sweethearts, purity culture, get married early, all that jazz. We've been together for over 20 years. 20, yeah, it's been a long time. And it's working. It is such an incredible partnership now and one of the richest parts of my life. But the reality is our different woundings and how we specifically responded to them, because you can have similar pain points and attachment wounds, not that we necessarily do, but you can. And then because of your, your temperament and that whole nature versus nurture and all of that, you can respond very differently. So we've responded to the world very differently. He's avoided things that are hard and inflammatory. Those things he's not run into like a crazy screaming brave heart, (laughs) like warrior. (laughs) And I have, so we've literally run in the opposite direction. And I had no awareness of what was driving me to need to advocate so strongly for the voiceless. I just didn't know. And thankfully, I married a nine who's so gracious and who's so just sees the good in people and in me so well that he's never judged me for how ridiculous it probably looked from the outside. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I... Just it's been a several year process of me realizing, um, ironically, similar to what he had to realize once he started speaking and then to recalibrate, like you said, and be like, okay, where do I want to use my voice? Now that I feel more comfortable using my voice, who's going to honor it? And where is it worth sharing so that my dignity as a person can be preserved and so that I can actually benefit someone else? Because what's the point of communication or of influence if it's not beneficial. So similar for me in the sense of I really realized painfully that people, you know, they say that people don't change from social media. That's like a common thing, right? You're not going to change your views. Views are fixed, blah, blah, blah. Don't You don't need to spend your time sharing them on social. But that wasn't the case for us. Like for me, my eyes were completely opened because of social media and articles and people sharing things that I would have never come across in my bubble, in my circle. And so people being brave enough to share changed my life like forever. And so then it was like, okay, then I can be that person for people. And so I took the baton and started sharing my thoughts. And this was before, way before our practice, just videos and articles and different things to help people learn and grow like I was. And I was like this naive little kid bringing candy to the recess that no one wanted. I was like, wait, people don't want this candy? And seeing people trash it and step on it and throw it in the bushes. And I was just really disillusioned for a while. And I just kept trying and trying. And I think I had to accept, which is one of our pillars of healing, actually, how acceptance comes into our story and how important it is. I really had to accept like people are where they're at for a reason. Their resistance is there for a reason. And it's actually not my job to overcome that resistance and help them see. It's like, I don't have that much power and I don't need that much power. It's not my role. And so it just took time to shift from that space of I must show them people are hurting. This is important. They've got to know to realize, oh, I actually can be okay in my own sense of safety without them seeing this or knowing this. And it was brutal, Amy. I'm not going to lie. It was a really hard process. That's hard. It's so hard. 
I'm an Enneagram too. I'm a helper. And I had to say no to something. You did. I had to say no and be like, but this is the thing I thought I brought to the world. Saying yes to things, to helping. And when you realize that some of being healthy is to realize that thing that you thought you brought to the world and where you've honestly put a lot of your like security in. This is why I'm loved. This is why I'm accepted. And the Holy Spirit does that work and says, but what if you didn't do the thing? And then you have to be willing to like take that step of saying, here's where I realize, here's where I learn. Here's where I learn if I matter, if I don't do that thing that play that one note that I know to play (laughs) to show up in the world and be worth something. And when we can't play that note or we learn to play it differently, right? it's so scary. It's so scary. And it changes everything. And I think we all have a note we've played for so, so long Mm -hmm. in unhealthy places in like unhealthy faith communities that we were in. We realize that they're unhealthy and then we leave and we still have the note. Mm. We still have the note. And we still are hitting that one key over and over again. And at a certain point, I think we get to a place where we realize, oh no, I'm doing the same thing. And I'm putting myself in the same position. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to victim blame anybody. No. But we do get into habits. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on like how people can understand like the, the power of working through how we got where we were mm-hmm. and how the certain things didn't work for us is so important for moving forward in health. Understanding that one note that we play in order to do that, we have to look at our story, our past, our Adam Young says that you never experience the present for the present, but only through the filter of our previous experiences. And that, has been really impactful for me to understand why do I respond, react, play the note that I play. For example, the note I play is I'm a peacekeeper. I don't rock the boat. I don't push back on authority. I don't push back on what is. And I realized I need to stop playing that note. And I had to look back through my story and realize being a peacekeeper was my role my family, in the church, being the good kid. I grew up in the church since I was four. I memorized scripture, read the Bible, knew all the Bible stories, good theology, getting called into ministry at 17, youth group leader, going to Bible college, got to be a missionary. Like All these things got me the affirmation, the acceptance, and the belonging in a system that didn't want pushback. Consciously, I didn't know yeah. that. Like one said, 95% of our actions are driven by our subconscious. Yeah. And so I had to look at that story to realize that I need to play a different note. And like you said, when I played that note, it wasn't appreciated. Like your worst fear, It's what I knew right? subconsciously. Like, am I going to be okay if I do the different thing? Am I still going to be a welcome in this community? Exactly. And you're not. And I wasn't. And what we found is yep. you're not. Yeah. Generally. And my family system set me up for that. Now for a quick break. 
This episode of the Untangled Faith podcast is sponsored by Faithful Counseling. Sometimes even after working through an issue for a while and taking a break from counseling, we find ourselves needing a little extra help again. That's been my recent experience with therapy. It was time for a tune-up. Maybe you can relate. Faithful Counseling can help you find a therapist that works for you. With more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states, it's easy and free to change counselors until you find the right fit. Whether you are struggling with family conflicts, trauma, anxiety, stress, or depression, Faithful Counseling can match you with a therapist who can help. Visit faithfulcounseling.com untangled, and you can get 10% off your first month. This link now redirects to BetterHelp, the parent company of Faithful Counseling, and will still match you with a therapist who is right for you based on your preferences. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic, a two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains to support healthy regularity and your gut, immune, and skin health. Optimize your gut health. Visit seed.com slash Spotify with code Spotify for 30% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Now back to the show. Subconsciously, I knew what the expectations are. All of our systems, family systems and other systems, we learn to navigate through these systems and belong in them by knowing our role and the boundaries of how far we can push and where we can go. And that creates safety and understanding like that this is wired in our nervous system through trauma, it's survival its adaptations and understanding that can help us understand what that note is that we keep on playing. And then there's an invitation to push. Do you want to keep playing that same note? There's also an invitation of counting the cost. If you play this note, it has worked for you. If you change the note, are you prepared for what this could bring? And you can't prepare for what you don't know, but then there's that journey of compassionate curiosity of, is this the right thing? And I think that was a big part of our journey. Kept on coming back to is, am I bad? Am I wrong? Am I being mean? Am I not following God? Am I disappointing Jesus? And it just came back to, like, when I first came out here, I saw the sign behind on your back wall. It's like love. And that's, Jesus kept on bringing me back to that is, are you loving people? Yeah, I'm trying to. That's my heart's desire. And so I'm not peacekeeping, but I'm loving and when I kept on coming back and getting gaslit, of like, no, this isn't what God wants. This isn't biblical. This isn't right. This isn't loving. And I kept on coming back. And God kept on showing me, like, but let's re- redefine what love is. Love isn't peacekeeping. Love is standing up for what is right. And because of my good Christian boy mentality, like, I knew all the Bible stories. I knew all the theology. And I, I could see where Jesus, like, pushed against the norm where he wasn't a peacekeeper. He wasn't a jerk, but he didn't peacekeep. And just continuing giving me that boldness, that courage, hey, just love me and love people. Even when you're not feeling loved, yeah, when you don't feel loved, when they're not loving you, just come back. Love God, love people. What happened with you, Lauren? What if I don't do the thing that has always been the thing I lean into? Yeah. What happened? I think it 
It was really moving to see how we both needed different places of growth where he needed to use his voice strategically and I needed to almost surrender my voice and find safety apart from the advocacy, fighting, defending justice place. So we almost needed to do different things in one sense and watching him step into that and find his voice and really be able to I remember one time, oh my goodness, we had, we were in a uh, very difficult situation with a faith leader and family members, and we were being very intentionally misunderstood, I think I could say. And I had gotten to a place in my body of just shut down, crying, holding, curled into myself and defeat, like I surrender, but not in a healthy way not surrender like that, just I, I'm defeated, I'm gone, I'm erasing, dissolving. And Luke stood up literally and figuratively and he started to yell at this faith leader. And I was incredibly uncomfortable, back to the anger conversation, because we don't yell, A, and B, we don't yell at leaders or authorities. And he was advocating for me as I was broken into a million pieces, absolutely devastated, so much grief and loss. And then on top of that, it was the second wound of not being believed, not being seen, not being heard. And then Luke basically became my voice for me. And it was so beautiful, this like twisting of the turning of the tables and to see him walk into that in the last couple of years where that's really been needed. And it's been just beautiful to see when we don't play that note anymore. I love that, the imagery of that too. That analogy is really great. And we see them, like you said, we don't want a victim blame. We see these things as adaptations and survival strategies. That's completely our trauma model. We do not pathologize the things we do to survive because they hold a brilliance to them. They hold a, an absolute remarkable ness that you as a child figured out how to survive in your system. It served us so well for so long. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely does. Yep. And it can be honored and it can be seen without shame. Um, and that takes time, but it, it's absolutely um, worth bringing honor to because of how long and how well it served us. So for me, it was slowly stepping back and out of those roles or those notes I was playing which ironically were very similar in my family system and in the church system. They were very similar roles, which you'll find happens, and choosing myself, which again, in faith communities is like, what? Die to yourself. So there's complexity there, but choosing actually what I needed, what I wanted, who I was, and what was really true beneath all of the adaptations. And that's been a remarkably freeing, empowering journey. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. I did not know where this conversation was going to go. And it just feels holy. It feels like this is just a really holy space. And I'm, I'm imagining the people listening and thinking about the own, their, how they have shown up in so many places and how they have survived. And to protect themselves. I've talked several times with people about betrayal blindness and what Jennifer Freed has said about that and how that is the same thing 
But there is no shame that we did not see all the horrible things. It was because we couldn't. It was because our psyches were created to protect us from things that would break us to see. And so when we finally see it, when our subconscious and the Holy Spirit says, okay, there's not so many things happening that it will destroy them. (laughs) This little glimpse, this little sliver of light gets through. And then sometimes we do feel a little shame, like, how did I not know? Yeah, totally. No, you couldn't. You just couldn't. And there's just no shame for that. It's the same thing with you did what you needed. The peacekeeping, the peacemaking, the fighting for your voice, it served you. It really did serve you. And it's such a powerful thing when we get to sit with it later and see what can we do with this now? Yeah, exactly. Is it still serving me? And the more we we are able to do that deep work of how we got where we were and why we did what we did, we can think about what we do next. I wanted to ask you, I have heard people talk about like people that have been hurt, like they want to make meaning and they're like, I'm going to be an advocate for others. I want to be a voice for the voiceless. And I would love for you to talk about how that can sometimes be problematic. Tell me why we might not want to be a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. You said that really well. <laughs> that, oh, why not just perpetuate further harm and trauma if we're literally <laughs> saying we're the voice and really they have a voice. And I, it's super, super nuanced, but it just made me think our best place to start and to stay, honestly, is our own story because mm-hmm. that is our truth. No one else knows that story like we do. No one else has lived that story. We are given this story to steward and this on this earth. And I think a lot of us want to bypass that. Maybe like, oh, yeah, there's stuff. But, oh, it's so uncomfortable. Let me just skate over it. And I'm going to go to everyone else's story. And honestly, we see this a lot. This was totally me of really using other people's pain to subconsciously work out your own pain that is honestly way less accessible. Other people's pain, you watch a moving story or a documentary or book and you're like in it, you can jump into their pain. And in a sense, it helps you tap into your own, but you have to be intentional to do that. Um, And so I see that if you're becoming a mouthpiece for whatever you're advocating for, whether it's domestic abuse or spiritual abuse or LGBTQ uh, rights or whatever has burdened you, whatever marginalized group has burdened you and you start to advocate for them, if you're not aware of your story, we talk about story a lot because it's just so huge and really have done your own advocacy for yourself and spent a lot of time there. You're really bypassing that and potentially using those other places to work out your own pain and your own attachment wounds. And that's not fair to that group that you're wanting to serve. And it's not fair to you and your story that deserves the utmost care, that deserves the attention and time and tenderness that you need to become a more whole version of yourself. You know, I think when you work it through to the end, we really don't want to be someone else's voice. We want to give space for someone else to use theirs as much as we possibly can. Somebody that's been harmed, it's really easy to like be like, hey, I got this. I got this. I'll be your voice. And sometimes they do need a little boost. But oftentimes what they need is permission to use their voice in a place that 
is going to be heard, believed, and safe. Going off of what Lauren just said, like if we're not doing our own work, we're going to assume one, we're, a lot of times we assume that everybody's story is just like our story. So everybody should respond like we responded or shouldn't respond like we didn't respond. And so we can become very judgmental of, oh, you're still wounded and not living out of your voice or your, um, and it's really, no, it's just, it's the, it's the part, it's the journey that they're on. It's the place in their journey that they're on. So we can become prideful when we're ahead of somebody and judge them that they should be where we're at or we should, they should be doing the same things that we should be doing or even get into the same destination that we're, we've gotten to. Especially in the spiritual community, like some people are like, you should never leave the church. And other people are like, no, you should never stay in the church. And it's, no, there, there isn't, in trauma, when we learn about trauma, trauma gives us those binaries. It's easy to prescribe what success and what the end point is for everybody. Exactly. And if we're not careful, we're going to, we're going to take one binary of one trauma system and take it to another trauma system and keep that binary of, and so just being, yeah, the rigidity, but just understanding again, the story of understanding your story and knowing that your story is different than everybody else's story. So I think that's one tricky part of just assuming that all stories are alike and have the same destination and we're all should be at the same place and, and going at the same pace. But having that grace is really important. I use this all the time, curio compassionate curiosity with our own story, but also compassionate curiosity with other people's story. We don't want our wounds and our trauma to hurt other people's that are wounded and traumatized. So if we can be curious and compassionate about why they're at that place in their story, how did they get there? We can be a lot more loving and compassionate, understanding and supportive. There can be some strength in finding people who have had similar experiences. We've been exiled from the church, which is why we're no longer in that community, in the missions community is when we used our voice and played that, stopped playing that note, they got rid of us. So there is people in our community now that have experienced similar things. And there has to be, we have to be careful to not just create our own bubble. Yeah, they're bad. We're good. But to build a process with them, like, oh, this is really hard. And that those waves of grief of and having somebody that understands that. But I would say we did a post the other day that was talking about seeking safety, not sameness. Oh, say more. And yeah, just this idea that what we need is interpersonal connections that are safe. And that doesn't mean that our, okay, this is exactly what I believe. This is what I do. This is what I don't do. We have been taught evangelicalism primes us to constantly seek and this isn't specific to Christianity. This is humans. We are tribalistic people. We want to be with people that are just like us. And in the past, that was like more important because it was literal survival if you're with your tribe. But the world doesn't work that way anymore. Thank goodness. Um, and yet we're still holding to that tribalistic mentality of us versus them. Um, and we can do the same thing in healing spaces. But if we can shift our perspective of it's not sameness and similarness that I need, it's safety. And that shared mutual reciprocity between two parties where um, I'm going to be humble and listen to you. I want to know you and I want to care for you. 
I'm not always right and I'm not going to push what I need on you. I'm going to support you with what you need. That type of relational currency is what creates safety. And that can be with people who have different beliefs. And that's like a mind-blowing thing that's, we've, you know, we never uh, felt that or experienced that growing up. We were at Christian schools. We did all the bubble things. But realizing like there's people of different faiths that I feel very safe with. There's people of different places on their journey of what they believe. And I'm ever evolving. So it's actually not safety. The beliefs and the doctrine and the dogma is not where we should find our safety. That's what we believe as we move forward in healing. So in these spaces, we've got to we've got to learn to shift to nurturing those relationships that really are about safety, not about sameness. And sometimes in the healing spaces, there's really toxic relationships. And those aren't ones that need to be nurtured. We can step away from those too. You know, we've all been formed by the same system, right. all been harmed by the same system, and now we're coming out of it. But we still have some of those those same habits that we were that were not, or things that we were taught about how to deal with things and how to do power and influence yes. and platforms that we don't necessarily see because we have blind spots, and it's so easy to replay that again if we are not careful. So. I have loved having this conversation with you. It has been just such a wonderful, just reassuring. I just, I'm thrilled to share this with my listeners. And I would hope maybe we can have another conversation sometime. We've had a lot of weird like technology things happening. Note for the audio, you, I, I started giggling just a little bit ago. I was muted because um, Luke has this thing happening with his video that if he like does a thumbs up, it does some weird bubble that actually puts a, a little icon on the screen of a, a thumb floating in the air. And it was like this very serious moment and his thumbs are up. <laughs> Sometimes it does it when he puts his thumbs up. I have, I'll share the, I'm gonna, I share the video often with these. And so I will, I'm hopefully I'm hoping it captured it. I'm like, yeah, I tried to hold back too. <laughs> I, I missed, I saw you guys laughing. I'm like, what, what are they laughing at? Is this something I said? <laughs> something the video did so how can we find you and like where are you on social media what's your website i would love for people to learn more about you what you're doing yeah we'd love if our work or something about our paradigm resonates with you we'd love to, you to follow us along and see our content we're at flourish underscore therapy on instagram and facebook we also have a podcast called filled to flourish and we are at flourishtherapy.co, our website with all of our different services. Um, yeah, we would love to connect with your audience. I'm sure there's a lot of crossover, a lot in common. And I just, I, I wanted to say earlier when you were talking about how hard it is to stop playing your note, like people like your audience are, we hold in like the highest regard because to step back and look at your faith system or your, your family system, it is so difficult. It requires such profound courage and mental and emotional stamina and resilience. And it's really hard because the things that make us do that, like that get us to that point are often traumas. So it's not just, oh, I'm a perfectly healthy person who has to look at these things. It's a person who has so much from our experience pain and like story there of why we're looking at it and willing to re-examine and we just hold so much space and like 
honor, just want to bestow honor to you. If your story and your journey has taken you to a place where you haven't been able to turn away, you have to look and you have to um, have that heart change. We just champion you because it is not for the faint of heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening to this conversation with Luke and Lauren Smallcomb. Don't forget to check out the show notes so you can find them and check out the resources they offer. The Untangled Faith podcast is hosted by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. You've made it possible for me to outsource some of the editing to my friend and audio genius, Josh. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.